Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. As you're listening to this program, God willing, I am in the Holy Lands, the lands where it all happened, where God incarnated himself and where heaven met earth, the very spots. I am serving as a chaplain for the Theology Body Institute pilgrimage to Rome. I hope to be back soon and ask your prayers while I am on this pilgrimage. But I am on this pilgrimage at a time when we are beginning the season of the Great Fast. In particular, in the Eastern churches, we begin a couple days before Ash Wednesday, as it is known in the West. We actually begin this evening, Sunday evening, because it begins the next day. So technically, we're beginning on Monday. And we call this week Clean Week. It's the first week of the Great Fast in the Eastern churches. And it's called Clean Week because what we're doing really is we're really cleaning out. We're really cleaning house spiritually. And here I am in the lands where the reason for Lent, the lands where it all took place, the very reason. In other words, Christ suffering death and resurrection. And this is why we enter into the season of Lent. We enter that, se- we, we enter that season to pull back from that which is excessive, which is not so clean in our lives, and to open ourselves up to enter into the mystery that occurred in the very place where I am now, as you are listening to this program, the place where Jesus walked, where he did his miracles, where he suffered, died, rose, and ascended into heaven, and sent the Holy Spirit. It all happened here in these holy lands, the middle of the earth, the Middle East. And Lent is a time in which we enter into that, not only into the mystery of Christ's death and resurrection, as we walk in his very footsteps, but also into that which preceded it or foreshadowed it in the Old Testament. The stories of the Jewish people and Moses, you know, the covenants, the the thousands of years of history of relationship between God and the Jewish people, and how for 40 years they wandered in the desert, how they were in exile in Babylon, the Babylonian exile. That whole mystery 
the thread that weaves it all together is the mystery of relationship with God, and yet a striving in failures of faithfulness to that relationship with God. In other words, to the covenant, to that wandering, to that exile, to that distancing ourselves from God as the Jewish people did, and at times being very close and faithful to God. And this is how we are. This is how our lives are spiritually. We have our moments of brilliance. We all do. And closest to God, we're walking really with God as the Jewish people did when they were being faithful. But then we have our times of exile, of going astray, of even rebelling as the Jewish people did. They were in the desert. Remember, they yelled at Moses, why did you even bring us out of Egypt? We were held captive there, but that's better than this. We're out here in this heat, in the water, food. They actually thought captivity was better, just as we do oftentimes, only spiritually. This is what's happening in the world today. See, the captivity of the Jewish people, and they're grumbling when they were released from captivity and entering into the desert, trying to go to the promised land. That's a metaphor, a parallel for our spiritual journey, and certainly what's happening in the world today, where we actually prefer the captivity of sin of a life that is not of God, that is of God's enemies, your life of selfishness, of addiction, of fallen passions, of laziness, of rebellion against God, of sexual confusion and immorality, the breakdown of family and marriage, selfishness, moral relativism, narcissism. All these things are the captivity of the desert spiritually. And ironically, we long for these things in our world because we don't understand what we're really looking for and where the answer really lies. Just like the prodigal son, just like the Jews in watering the desert when they were unfaithful, and Moses had to keep reeling them back, reeling them in, pointing to God as the ultimate answer. God's covenant, God's way, God's plan. The promised land lies ahead, but it required going through the desert, remaining faithful to God no matter what. This is what Lent is. Lent is our immersion into that biblical event, but it's also an immersion into an honesty about ourselves, that spiritually we do walk this journey of the people of the Bible. And yes, we do walk in the steps of Christ, which even in Him, in Jesus Christ, we see the repeating of that journey, that struggle for faithfulness. He had to be faithful to his own father. You remember the dramatic moment there, which we celebrate on Holy and Great Thursday, Jesus Christ, as he prays in the garden and sweats blood, even. He even sweats blood, droplets of blood falling to the ground. His, his sweat became like blood. That's how, what an intense internal struggle this was. And in that way, he was taking on the struggle of all humanity to be faithful to his Father in heaven. Of course, Jesus was faithful, but it was a struggle. It was our struggle. And so these are the things that we enter into by means of Lent. What a journey. That's why it's called a journey, the journey of Lent, the journey of the great fast in the Eastern churches. And we call it the springtime of repentance, the the flowering of repentance. Notice it's a positive and negative at the same time, very typical of Eastern spirituality, where we live in the both and. We pull back from things. We acknowledge our sinfulness. We repent. We go through that desert, but then that gives us the joy. It's as though simultaneously the joy is happening on top of or with the sorrow, with the desert wandering. Because as we pull back, we get purified. As we fast and go through that desert, the scorching spiritual sun 
of spirituality burns out of us our selfishness and our sin, and as we fast. And that then opens us up to the flowering, the joyful part, that we become holier people, more open and relying on God more. We come then to that promised land of our spirituality. But we need to have a lot of things burned away from us, a lot of veils pulled back before our eyes. We need a lot of spiritual discipline, a lot of shedding, a lot of pulling back. And when we pull back, such as in fasting, giving up things during Lent, and not just food. Food is number one. That's the heart of it because it's very difficult. It's tied to a lot of things. But if we can give up the appropriate foods, you know, the fatty things, the things we use for celebration— you know, meat and dairy, and technically, yes, even fish and even oil. That's right. We go totally vegan during Lent in the Eastern churches if you want to embrace the full traditional fast. But we do that not not only with food, but with all kinds of things in our life, any kind of excesses, even things that are good. Most things in our lives are good, just that we tend to allow them to become excessive or become false gods. They begin to control us. You know, food is good, but we allow food to become our false god. And we have all kinds of problems from that then, the obesity and health and so on. So what we do is we pull back from things, but we do so to restore our vision of them. Not because they're bad. God has made nothing bad on earth. It's what we do with them. It's how we see them. It's how we approach them. It goes back to Genesis. And again, Lent, and this is why we read a lot from Genesis. Each day we read from Genesis in the Eastern churches during Lent. It goes back to Genesis, where Adam and Eve, in the beginning, had that holy sacramental view, that sacramental liturgical worldview. They saw creation as revealing God, and they participated in that. They reveled in that. They praised God for it. They weren't possessive or obsessive about it. But then came that moment, Eve, tempted by the devil, to lose that vision. So that's the key. Our faith is about seeing things correctly and therefore approaching them according to that vision. And that vision is sacramental, liturgical. It's what we do during liturgy in the Mass. We take things like bread and wine, water, and they become, we recognize how they become sacred. They actually become the very body and blood of Christ. God becomes physically totally present to us through those material things, the statues, the icons, the incense, the candles, the mosaics. These things all become holy. They unite us with God. They help to make God present, the vehicles that unite heaven and earth. So what we do is we take that liturgical view that Adam and Eve had at the beginning, and which they lost through sin, and we try to restore it by pulling back from it. You know, you pull back from something. You ever do that? Pull back from something that you take for granted, but that you really like. You know, your car, you know, your iPhone, whatever, your garden, your pet, your spouse, anything and anyone. Pull back from that and actually contemplate them. See, really see the mystery of them, how they reveal God, how they're a wonderment. And how we take it for granted, especially if we experience or see these things or people every day, we know it whenever these things are suddenly gone, an object or a person through death and so on, then we realize how much, how much they were to us, how valuable they were, how much they experienced God. That's why we love them. That's why we did experience goodness, because 
It was an experience of God through their uniqueness, through the integrity of that thing, that creature, that person. So Lent is a time when we pull back from all these things to regain that original sacramental view of Adam and Eve so that we can then reapproach these things in a more measured way, a more sacramental way, a way in which we are moved to thank God, a movement towards gratitude and prayer and celebration. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Hello, I'm Father Thomas Loya. I am inviting you to the Byzantine Gospel. This is a Byzantine Catholic Lenten mission for Northwest Indiana. It's going to take place Sunday, March 29th from 1 to 5 p.m. at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Church, 509 West Division Road in Valparaiso, Indiana. The featured speaker is Mike Aquilina. Father Tom, tell us about Mike. He's the executive vice president and trustee of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. He is a widely recognized Catholic author and lecturer. Mike Aquilina's books include the best-selling The Fathers of the Church, an introduction to the first Christian teachers. The scriptures come alive during the Byzantine Catholic Lenten mission for Northwest Indiana at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Church, 509 West Division Road in Valparaiso, Indiana. Friday afternoon, March 29th from 1 to 5, if that went by too fast, or if you have questions, send an email to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's T-A-B-O-R, life at earthlink.net. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to TaborLife.org. That's TaborLife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host. The chant that you're hearing at this moment is a chant that is basically the, the theme, the banner of Lent in the Byzantine Catholic tradition is the chant of the psalm, by the waters of Babylon we wept. It is the psalm from the Bible in which the Jewish people sang when they were held captive in Babylon. We talked about that earlier, the exile, the captivity, which for us, that is a spiritual metaphor for our own spiritual captivity of sin. But the Jewish people, according to the psalm, were asked by their captives, hey, sing for us. You guys sing pretty good. Sing for us. And the Jewish people would say, how can we sing while we are in exile, far away from our home? We, we have sadness in our hearts. We cannot sing. And so... We do sing this psalm in the Eastern churches during Lent because we are in exile as well, in exile from that unity, that integration with God because of sin. 
and our unbridled passions, our fallen passions that we give into so easily and so often. We don't even realize it sometimes. So Lent is a time we pull back from that to get a clearer look, a more clear vision of who we are, of what it's about, what things are, their value in relation to God. The service on Sunday evening is called the Sunday evening Vespers of Cheese Fair or Forgiveness Vespers. What we do is we take on the posture of Adam as he stands outside, he and Eve stand outside the gates of paradise. In fact, in the Eastern churches, we actually have gates that separate the sanctuary from the nave. In the Latin Rite churches, especially in in the more classic style churches, many of you might remember the communion rails that separated the sanctuary from the nave. And no one went beyond that communion rail except those authorized, the ordained ministers and the servers. So too it is with the Eastern churches in the icon screen. It's like a grand communion rail. In other words, it goes all the way to the ceiling with three sets of doors on it, richly decorated with icons. So it's a very distinct barrier between the sanctuary and the nave, but at the same time, this barrier has doors on it. So there is a movement in and out of those barriers. There are certain boundaries, but they're controlled from the inside, as healthy boundaries are. The doors are opened by certain people at certain times for certain purposes during the service. Otherwise, they remain closed. Because it's a reminder to us, it's an experience through the liturgy, that we are in exile. We're not there yet. We're en route to the promised land, but we're not there yet till we get to heaven. And yet, at the same time, heaven has met earth through Christ's incarnation, which is celebrated during this past season. And so the icons on the icon screen depict the people in heaven, the angels, the saints, Christ, the Virgin Mary, looking out towards us as though they were coming towards us. And the liturgy takes place in that, what I call, tension or complementarity of something seen, in other words, the icons, the people from heaven, but also something unseen, something concealed. That is the altar because that is the holy of holies as the area that most represents heaven in the church. And so only authorized persons go there on behalf of the people to offer sacrifices to God. We are not there yet, so we don't all go up there. We're in, in route. So we stand outside of that icon screen like Adam. We do that for every service, but especially during this Sunday evening vespers that begins Lent, and we sing mournful chants as though we were Adam, mourning the fact that he is outside the gates of paradise, like the prodigal son, the goodness, the relationship with his father that he once knew, but that he squandered on fallen passions, just as the prodigal son did, just as we do, especially in our day and age. And so during the Vesper service, we sing the mournful services, but we also interject chants such as, O Joyful Light. In other words, the reminder that Christ will come into this darkness and we will be redeemed. And towards the latter part of the service, we begin for the first time to do the prostrations, which are the quintessential action in the Eastern churches liturgically of our bodies, where we actually go all the way to the floor of the church and touch our heads to the floor, our faces to the floor, like the publican in the gospel parable, the publican and the Pharisee. Remember, it was the publican who stayed in the back of the church and beat his breast and kept his eyes down. He didn't even feel worthy to raise his eyes to heaven while the Pharisee stood in the front of the church telling God how good he was and righteous he was. Well, he may have been righteous and good and may have been playing by all the rules, but he didn't have it where it really counted in the heart. As John Paul II would tell us, Christ always takes things to the heart. 
He takes things to the heart, the center of our being. And the publican was in the back of the church, praying from his heart, honestly, telling the truth about himself in relation to this God, that I am a sinner. I can't even raise my eyes to you. It is, it is only God who makes us worthy to raise our eyes to him. And this is what we do during the service and with the prostrations. We do these prostrations several times during the service. And during this first week of Lent, we will do them many times over a period of four nights or three or four, depending on the parish, as we celebrate the feast of St. Andrew of Crete. That during the fifth week of Lent will be celebrated in its entirety in one evening takes three to four hours because it also includes the great reading of the story of St. Mary of Egypt. But we do many prostrations using our whole body as an instrument of repentance, not just our mind, but our entire being becomes an instrument of repentance. And we sing chants like this, greed has made us deserve our first nakedness. The bitterness of the fruit has brought disgrace and we have been estranged from God. Let us now turn back in repentance. Let us cleanse our senses, and may the fast be our food. Let us strengthen our hearts with the hope of grace, and not in the passing provisions of this life. For our food will be the Lamb of God on the night of His glorious resurrection. He is the Lamb who offers Himself as a victim for us at the mystical supper in which the disciples take part. The Lamb who dispels the darkness of night by the brightness of His holy resurrection. There's a prayer that I would like to remind you about. If you've listened to us at any time, especially over the years, you'll recognize it. It's the prayer of St. Ephraim, written by a great Syrian saint, Ephraim, and he saint of the Eastern Church. He wrote many beautiful poetic chants as well, poetic, beautiful theological hymnody or dogmatic hymns, very characteristic of the worship of the Eastern Churches. St. Ephraim wrote a prayer, a very simple one, but one that becomes the hallmark prayer of Lent, one that becomes the hallmark prayer of Lent in the Eastern churches. It goes like this. It's basically three basic verses. O Lord and Master of my life, spare me from this spirit of indifference and discouragement, lust of power and idle chatter. And then we do a prostration, or at least a profound bow. And the next verse Instead, grant to me your servant, the spirit of humility, patience, and love. Again, a prostration. O Lord and King, grant me the grace to beware of my sins and not to judge others. For you are blessed now and ever and forever. Amen. And again, another prostration. Now we add to this in the liturgy, O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. O God, cleanse me of my sins and have mercy on me. Oh Lord, forgive me, for I have sinned without number. And we do that four times and doing it with a, a prostration. So we kind of tack that on. That comes from our communion prayer that we say at every Eucharistic liturgy. It's part of the communion prayer. Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Oh God, cleanse me of my sins and have mercy on me. Lord, forgive me, for I have sinned without number. But the bulk of the prayer is those three verses I mentioned each with a prostration. You notice how simple it is, how direct it is. O Lord and Master of my life, spare me from the spirit of indifference and discouragement, lust of power and idle chatter. That kind of covers it all, doesn't it? Indifference, you know, the apathy, that's a great sin. Discouragement, that's a sin and it can lead to despair, one of the D words as I call it. Disappointment, discouragement, despair, all having to do with the D, devil. Be very wary of those things. Don't let discouragement take a foothold because it leads to then despair. So discouragement and lust of power, idle chatter. 
So that deals with that mother of all sins, pride, and also how we are towards others, idle chatter. See, the world of spirituality, and this is modeled by the monks, less is more in terms of our mouth, in terms of noise, din. You know, din is useless noise that we're constantly inundated with. So we, it, it, it like outshouts our inner self, our inner voice, and above all, the voice of God. So we try to pull back from idle chatter, from just useless speech. Like, did that really have to be said? Try that sometimes whenever you talk. Say, did I really have to say that? Was it that important? I was just hearing myself talk out of pride. So spare me from idle chatter. Instead, grant me your servant the spirit of humility, patience, and love. Boy, the most important virtues. Grant me the grace to be aware of my sins, not to judge my brothers and sisters. What a complete prayer, complete in its simplicity. I ask you to keep me in prayer as I complete my pilgrimage here in the Holy Lands. I'm remembering all of you in prayer in this very place for which we have the Lenten season, what took place here in this Holy Land. Pray for me as I pray for you. Let us begin now this great fast with fervor, patience, humility, repentance, and prayer. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. A Lenten Reflection with Monsignor Charles Pope. As Lent progresses, we move closer and closer to Good Friday, where our Lord will suffer so much for us. During Lent, we often speak of three traditional practices, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And really at the heart of it is fasting. Fasting is a way of making room for God. Uh, Perhaps we will fast from food, and in that way we can save money and then give alms. Or perhaps we'll fast from some activity, perhaps looking at the internet so much, or television or some other lawful pleasure. And in that way, we'll not only save money, but time, and we can spend more time perhaps praying, engaged in spiritual reading, or spending time with our family and children, or getting to Mass or adoration. All of these are ways that fasting is really this idea of making more room for God, making that room in our life for spiritual things. Linton programs now through Holy Thursday on EWTN Radio and TV. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.